0: The first Easter was around the year 30 A.D., maybe 33, and Christians have been celebrating ever since. Today we're celebrating differently, but we're still celebrating the resurrection of Jesus as good news. Today we want to ask the question, why? What is it about the resurrection of Jesus that makes it good news? We're going to find the answer in the book of Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul has gone out with Barnabas to a a region of the world that's in modern-day Turkey, and uh, Paul is beginning to stand up in a synagogue. He's been invited to speak there, and he begins to speak good news about Jesus. In Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 16, Paul summarizes God's promises from Abraham to John the Baptist, and Then he turns a corner and begins to say, all of these promises have been fulfilled in the message of salvation about Jesus. That's where we're going to pick up this good news in Acts chapter 13, verse 26. Jordan Lynn is going to read our scripture text for the day.
1: Brothers. Sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been set the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up from him with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you cannot be freed by the law of Moses. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. I remember the day that a friend of ours in St. Louis opened our pantry. It wasn't a very large pantry, and so you could see pretty quickly everything that was inside it, and this friend was astounded to notice eight, maybe ten, maybe honestly closer to fifteen bottles of different varieties of barbecue sauce in this tiny pantry, and, uh, and he kind of staggered back and said, what in the world is going on here? And, and it was one of those moments where he said, you know, in, in theory, I know that barbecue is important to you guys from the southeast, but still, there's no way I could have been expecting that. You might have a similar experience this morning if, if you tune in and listen to the way that Acts chapter 13 unfolds the good news about Jesus. Jesus. Uh, Paul has taken ten verses to summarize uh, thousands of years of history from Abraham to John the Baptist, and then we're not surprised when he talks about the death of Jesus. He talks about the fact that Jesus was executed by the Romans, that he was uh, put to death on a tree, uh, so to speak. And, uh, And then he says in verse 30, God raised him from the dead. And we're not surprised to hear those things, right? Jesus died, he rose again. And then we're not surprised that the sermon ends in this way. Paul says that we can be forgiven for our sins because of the work of Jesus. But what we might be surprised by is that verse 30 isn't alone. Verse 30 says God raised him from the dead. But then there are seven more verses about the resurrection of Jesus. Really, there's more attention given here to the resurrection of Jesus than to the death of Jesus. Four verses to talk about his death, eight verses to talk about his resurrection. In the minds of many of us, Paul could have easily just moved from Jesus died on the cross to uh, what he says in verse 38, therefore let it be known that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Instead, he stops and spends a lot of time unpacking the resurrection of Jesus. There is something about the resurrection of Jesus that is essential to the good news about him. Why? Why is the resurrection of Jesus such good news? Well, here's the answer to that question for today. The resurrection of Jesus is good news because it's a promise to us That Jesus won't stop what he's doing in our world until our salvation is complete. I use the word salvation because that's the summary that the Apostle Paul used. He says that he's preaching this message of salvation. Verse 26, what does salvation mean? Well, it's a word that can mean rescue from danger. Also a word that means restoration to health. The resurrection of Jesus is God's promise to us that Jesus will keep rescuing us from danger, and he will keep restoring us to health until every need has been completely met, until all of our deepest longings have been completely satisfied. The resurrection is God's way of saying Jesus won't stop what he's doing in our world until our salvation is complete. Let's answer a question before we go any further. That question is this, what what is resurrection anyway? Well, a simple way to put it is resurrection is a combination of two things, a body permanently filled with life, joined forever to a soul that's perfectly filled with love. So when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we're not talking about something that's just spiritual. It is physical. It involves a body permanently filled with life, filled with the kind of life that can't be undone. It can't be diminished. It can't be made weaker or sicker. A body permanently filled with life. But it's not merely a physical event. It's also something that says to us that Jesus' soul is so perfectly filled with love that he can never again be tempted to sin. One day he will raise us and we will experience this same process we will have bodies permanently filled with light that are joined forever to hearts that are perfectly filled with love. It will be impossible for us at that point to fail to love our neighbor as ourselves, to fail to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For Jesus, this has already happened. For us, it will happen when he comes again. Let's add one more word to this description of what resurrection is. When we talk about resurrection, we're talking about reality. We're talking about a reality that that involves time and space, flesh and blood. We're talking about something that really happens in this world. One reason we have to reflect on that is that the, the resurrection, if it's going to be good news at all, in the first century and in the 21st century, it has to be just as real as the thing it reverses. And the thing it reverses in the story of Jesus is crucifixion. Now, for the Romans, crucifixion was time and space, flesh and blood proof that someone was guilty, that they deserved to be executed, that they deserved to be executed in a way that would utterly humiliate them. It was proof, time, space, flesh, blood, proof that you had been rejected by society. Now, for the Jewish people who were watching the crucifixion of Jesus, a similar thing. This would have been time and space proof, proof in our world, in our history, in flesh and blood, that Jesus had been cursed by God and rejected, not just by society, but rejected by God himself. We we hear a hint of that in verse 29. It, It describes the fact that Jesus is taken down from a tree. Paul is preaching this in a synagogue where everyone would have understood the connections. Deuteronomy chapter 21 says that anybody who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. So here you are, standing at the foot of the cross, seeing all this proof in time and space, in flesh and blood, that Jesus has been rejected by people and rejected by God. And here come Christians saying... The resurrection is proof that you can trust Jesus, that the one who was rejected has now been restored, that the one who was shamed has now been honored, that the one who was killed has now been given a new kind of life. And it's not going to do much good in the first century or the 21st century to say that all these time and space and flesh and blood realities of crucifixion have been reversed by a legend or reversed by a metaphor. Or reversed by a myth. Resurrection is a time and space reality. It's something that happens in our world. It has already happened to Jesus. It will happen for his people when he returns. Why is that good news? Why is the resurrection good news? That's the next question we'll look at for a moment today. Why is this Good news about resurrection worth embracing and celebrating for one year, let alone 2,000. We'll go back to the answer that we gave before. The resurrection is proof in time and space, in flesh and blood, that Jesus will not stop what he is doing in our world until our salvation is complete. A few weeks ago, we dwelt on the fact that Jesus answers every dimension of human need, that that the work He has done meets all the deepest longings of every human heart. We named those longings in three ways uh, in that sermon. We said that we're all longing for freedom from guilt and shame. Jesus offers that to us. We are all deeply longing for power to grow and change, to become the kind of people We're filled with courage and love and integrity and honor. Jesus offers us that power, and everyone is longing for some hope that one day there will be an end to pain. Today, what I want us to see is that same truth again, that Jesus won't stop until our salvation is complete and our salvation involves all three of those needs being met. We want to see that just from Acts chapter 13. So, first, we see the fact that, that Jesus has completely rescued us from guilt and shame and rejection. In verse 33 of the text that Jordan read for us earlier, we hear a quotation from Psalm 2. You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Now, we could read that and say, Oh, my goodness, does this mean that Jesus wasn't the Son of God before he was resurrected? That he was just kind of an ordinary dude until God raised him from the dead, and that's when he became the Son of God. That, that's not true at all. If you read the Christian Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's not the perspective you get. Even if you read the first 12 chapters of Acts... You see clearly that Jesus has been the Son of God forever. So what would it mean for people who believe that Jesus has always been the Son of God to say that on the day of his resurrection, Jesus became God's Son? Well, it means this. A man who was crucified in front of everyone, treated as rejected and humiliated and despised and guilty, has now been confirmed to be in the closest possible relationship to God. He is no longer under a curse of guilt for our transgressions. Jesus is no longer bearing the shame of the cross. He's no longer experiencing rejection. He's experiencing the opposite of those things. God the Father is saying before the whole universe, this is my Son, No matter who rejects him, I embrace him, affirm him. Jesus rescues us from guilt and shame and rejection. That's why Paul ends his message the way he does in verse 38. Let it be known to you that through Jesus forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything That obedience to the law cannot free us. Jesus sets us free from guilt, from shame, from rejection. He also completely rescues us from everything that would turn our hearts away from God. One of the deep longings we have is to grow and change. To be the kind of people who would love the kinds of things that we ought to love. Well... We can't do that if our hearts are constantly turned away from God and we're not loving Him. If our hearts turn away from Him, we won't love our neighbors as ourselves. We will begin to love ourselves in wrong ways and to put our own needs ahead of the needs of others and to worship ourselves rather than worshiping the God who made us. That's the, that's the danger of idolatry. Well, the good news of this salvation that Jesus is doing in our world, and that He won't stop working until He's completely finished it, is that Jesus rescues us from everything that would turn our hearts away from God. How do we know that? Well, notice in verse 34 that there's a quotation, this time from Isaiah chapter 55, and it says, I will give you... Now, that's the southern you, it's plural. I will give all of you, I will give y'all the holy and sure blessings of David. Okay, what does that mean? Well, earlier in this sermon, Paul has reminded everyone who David was. David was a king but not just any king. Back in verse 22, the Apostle Paul described him in a way that would be familiar to his audience listening to him in the synagogue. There he quotes again from the Old Testament a description of David as a man after God's own heart. And God says, He will do all my will. If God is going to give to all of us the sure and holy blessings of David through Jesus, then one of those blessings is he will give us a heart that is after his own heart, a heart that beats with his, a heart that can't be turned away from his or from him. He will give us hearts that will long and will be strong enough to do all of God's will. Jesus had that kind of heart. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise that there would be a king like David but greater who one day would be the one through whom all of God's people would be given this kind of heart that could never be turned away from God. Jesus gives us that kind of freedom, that kind of power. He has rescued us from anything that could turn us away from God. Final part of the salvation that Jesus gives us is that Jesus rescues us from everything that causes pain and sorrow and frustration. In verse 34, we read this that God raised Jesus from the dead, no more to return to corruption. The same promise is uh, echoed in verse 35 where we, we have another quotation from the Old Testament, this time from Psalm 16. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. That word corruption has to do with, well, it has to do with decay, what would happen to your body once it's buried in a grave. But it has to do with everything that runs downhill, everything that causes us to groan and sigh and long for things to be right again. All the frustrations that you spent all that time planting those flowers in the yard, and now all you can see is the weeds growing up. You spent all that time preparing Easter dinner, and somebody forgot to turn the oven off, and now it has literally all gone up in smoke. You spent all that time working so hard to build that relationship with a neighbor, and then in just one moment, you misspoke one word, and years of friendship Are gone out the window. Everything that causes goodness and beauty to unravel, life to come undone, the molecules of our bodies to separate from one another after death. Everything that causes pain and sorrow and frustration is summed up in that one word, corruption. Jesus will not stop what He is doing in our world, until He has rescued us from all of these things. It's really important for us to hear that good news, not only today but every day, because we're in the habit of confusing the beginning of salvation with the whole of salvation. And the first thing that you begin to experience when you come to know Jesus and the reality of who he is generally is the forgiveness of sins. You begin to have this sense of, oh my gosh, all those things that hang over me like this dark cloud, Jesus has dealt with them. There is no more guilt. There's no more condemnation. There is forgiveness and pardon. And that's a glorious truth. But let's not forgive Confuse the beginning of salvation with the whole. Now, I can't think about that distinction between the beginning and the whole without thinking about, I love trains, but this picture doesn't really tell you that because this is not a picture of a train. Many people would say, well, sure it is. Ask any three-year-old and they will tell you that's a train. Yeah, well, this is a locomotive, actually. Let's not confuse the beginning with the whole. This is what you would see at the beginning of the train. But, but this is not a train. Locomotives are designed to be connected to something much bigger than themselves. And, and, and all those things connected to them won't go anywhere if there's not power in the locomotive. But nobody ever built locomotives just so uh, locomotives could run by themselves along the track from city to city, from country to country. Sometimes we think about the work of Jesus in that way. Oh, that's forgiveness of sin. That's all there is to salvation. Jesus gives you pardon, forgiveness. He takes away your guilt and sin. But he has nothing to say about whether your heart turns toward God. He has nothing to say about whether you can grow and change and become a loving person. He forgives you, but then it's up to you to figure that out. The locomotive's on the track, but the rest of the train, you're responsible for that. Or we say, you know what? J- Jesus is great for all these spiritual needs, but he doesn't really touch the hard stuff that makes us hurt. He doesn't really touch the frustrations of this world. He can't turn back the corruption of death and the grave. He can't turn back things like the coronavirus because he's only interested in salvation, not that. Well, that's confusing the beginning with the whole. Jesus is passionately concerned about forgiveness. But... He's not going to stop until our salvation is complete. So some people might say, yep, he's not. But, you know, salvation really is all about forgiveness of sins, right? No, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. If there's forgiveness of sins at the beginning of the train, it's because there's a whole bunch of other good stuff loaded on every other car. And Jesus is not going to stop until he unloads all the good stuff into our World. Resurrection is proof. It's evidence in time and space, in flesh and blood. It is God's promise that Jesus will not stop doing what he's doing to redeem our world until our salvation is complete. It's all three of those things together that make a complete vision of salvation, this deliverance from freedom from guilt and shame, plus power to grow and change, plus the reality that one day there will be an end to pain. All three of those things together are the biblical vision of what Jesus is doing The good news of Easter is that Jesus won't stop doing what he's doing in our world until he has done all of these things for everyone who believes in him. Verse 39 puts it exactly that way. By him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. One of the things that we've been thinking about over the past few weeks is how we could speak good news to other people, the, the question of evangelism. Let's talk about that for a moment. And I hope one of the things that you're seeing is that the, the, the first tool we need to get good at speaking about good, good news to other people is to embrace and believe and celebrate this good news ourselves. Uh, So it's not so much just a how-to question, but a why-to. Do I want to share this good news with other people? I do because it's so good for me. (laughs) What would it look like, though, for us in terms of a how-to to to learn to speak this good news to other people? It, It won't always be as easy for us as it seemed on this day for the Apostle Paul. If you read verse 15 of Acts 13... Somebody came up to him and said, hey, would you like to share anything with us? Feel, feel free to uh, speak to everyone in the room. Well, it may not be always that easy to share good news about who Jesus is with other people, but here's a fundamental rhythm that we can work with. First of all, to say that um, we think of these deep longings that everybody has and the salvation that Jesus offers. Everybody wants freedom from guilt and shame. Everybody wants power to grow and change. Everybody wants hope that one day there will be an end to pain. We start then with empathy. Listen to other people. Listen to what they're really saying. If you listen lovingly to other people, then in almost every conversation you have with anyone, one of these three topics will come up in some way now older approaches to evangelism assume that the first topic that was going to come up in almost every conversation was i need freedom from guilt and shame and there in some cultures and in some decades that may be true right now that's probably not true right now every conversation you have is about longing for an end to the pain that we are all feeling we begin sharing good news just by listening and when we hear someone touch on one of these deep longings, we say, you know what? It's absolutely right that you want that. And of course it hurts that we don't have that. We just begin with empathy. I'm listening. I'm hearing what you're really saying. I'm confirming that it's right to want those things, and it's dreadfully painful when we don't have them. But let's move from empathy to another step, which is curiosity. Ask questions. When you have opportunity, ask somebody a question about these deep longings. Hey, when you you don't have any hope that there's going to be an end to pain, what do you do about it? You seem to have hope that one day there will be an end to pain. Where does that hope come from in your life? I, I hear you talking sometimes about guilt. Where do you go to resolve that? Just ask questions. Listen. Love people well by listening to how they answer these deep longings, where they find hope for this kind of freedom and power and one day an end to pain. And then a third strategy, after empathy and curiosity, we listen well. We ask questions, and then we share testimony. Witnesses give testimony. People who have put their trust in time and space, flesh and blood realities about Jesus, we get to point to Jesus as the one who answers all these longings in our own lives. Hopefully, we've built enough of a relationship with people that we'd be able to say to them, you know, I... I'm a Christian, and, and one of the reasons for that is, is because of this very thing we're talking about. This desire for, for some solution to all that guilt I feel because I'm never a good enough dad. I feel that pain. I, I'm with you in that. I, I know what it's like to hurt my children deeply and, and to have that shadow hanging over me. One of the reasons I'm a Christian is because Jesus takes that guilt away. That's, that's the art of testimony, of listening well, of asking questions, of hearing what's going on in somebody's life and then pointing to Jesus as the one who meets that need. I belong to a church that finds the answer to that question about an end to pain in the resurrection of Jesus. That, that's testimony. It's not long, it's not complex, it's not complicated, and it's not arbitrary. It's part of a loving conversation where we first listened well and we've asked questions and we've wanted to know how other people are answering them and then we talk about Christ as witnesses giving testimony to what he has done. My very faith in Jesus comes from these same questions that we've been talking about. That simple rhythm of empathy and curiosity and testimony. Pointing to good news about Jesus. It's one I'd recommend as a pattern that we could carry into everyday conversation and relationships. But we won't point to the good news. We won't speak about good news unless we love it. And why should we? One more reminder. It starts in our attic. That's bad news, right? Things that start in the attic never turn out well. A few years ago, it was squirrels. Now it's a dead air conditioner. The tech came out last week, and he said, yep, it's dead. You need a new one. That's never what you want to hear about your air conditioner. Well, there was good news in this story. He found, uh, bad news, a gas leak in the attic. And so he asked, have you been smelling funny things? Um, no, he hadn't. So this gas leak who's been, that's been going on for who knows how long, thankfully, he took care of it. He fixed it. And then he left us an invoice. And he, he described about 10 other things that he would do. That if, if we hired him to replace our AC unit in the attic, it was his way of saying, Here's, here are all the things. If you hire me, I won't stop until I finish the whole job. The resurrection is Jesus' way of giving the world an invoice and saying, Here are the things I will do if you will hire me. If you will put your trust in me. Everyone who believes in me can have all of these things done for them. Every longing to be freed from guilt and shame, I will take care of it. Done. Everything that you want to become the person you long to be, the power to grow and to change. Done. I will give you my Holy Spirit to renew your heart I will help you grow over time. It will hurt some of that growth. And it won't happen immediately, but done. And that longing for a world in which beauty doesn't come unraveled, in which bodies don't decay, in which death is done away with, there is no more sickness. There is no more sorrow. There's no more want. There's no more missing of people who aren't present anymore. That deep Longing for an end to pain, done. I will satisfy all those longings forever. The resurrection is Jesus handing the world an invoice and saying, hire me, I'm on the job. And once you do, I won't stop until everything is finished. That is good news. That is why... 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, people began to celebrate that Jesus is risen from the dead. That is why 30 years later, the Apostle Paul preached and preached and preached the good news that Jesus is risen from the dead. That is why in the 21st century, we're still celebrating good news. Jesus has been raised from the dead and he will not stop what he is doing in our world until our salvation is complete. Let's take a moment, pray, and give him thanks. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your promise. That all the good things that you are enjoying now, resurrected, a life uh, a, a body filled with life in a way that can never be diminished, and a soul that is completely, completely immune to every temptation so dedicated to God and the good of others, that you will share that with us one day. We give thanks to you. Amen.